0: Rosa Del Duca here. Today, on Breaking Cadence, Insights from a Modern-Day Conscientious Objector, I sit down with Fanny Garcia. She's another conscientious objector from the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. She's actually the first CO like me I've ever talked to.
1: I feel like the military already has prepared you to like go through something as like emotional, the application process.
0: I found her through a member of a writing group I lead at the library. He's a Vietnam vet, and we'll actually hear from him in another episode. In any case, I was really excited to hear her story and to connect with someone who had gone through the same grueling application process I had. So you don't just declare yourself a conscientious objector in the military. You have to file a big application trying to prove that you have a firm and fixed belief that either your religion or your morals uh, are preventing you from being in uniform anymore. You have to ask people you know to write letters of support. You have to be interviewed by a chaplain, a psychologist, and then interrogated, pretty much, by an investigating officer. Then the whole packet goes up the chain of command while you wait and wait and wait for an answer. I was so anxious to talk to Fanny. I was neurotically analyzing her lack of exclamation marks in emails as signs that she didn't really want to talk or she might bail on me at the last minute. Of course, it turns out she was eager to talk to me too, and just much more well-adjusted about her army story. I held all of my questions for Fanny until we sat down with hot mics, so you'll be experiencing this pretty much as it unfolded, from ideas I'd never considered, to revelations we both arrived at nearly a decade apart.
1: Thank God for Google. (laughs) Without further ado, I'll let Fanny introduce herself fanny garcia i'm 27 years old and i live in oakland at the moment and i'm a student at california college of the arts and i'm studying photography
0: so i'm really curious how you how you were recruited and um kind of that time in your life like where you were living and what you were doing how old you were um and what was the attraction
1: of signing up It blends in with, like, a lot of the reasons why people join. And um, for me, I was, I think I had thoughts about joining the military when I was 18. I would watch commercials and stuff like that. And I think something about that was, like, oh, you know, I want to be better than just, like, be, like, a normal person. So I think that's where it kind of started. So I think to some extent those commercials work. And then when I turned 19 at this point I I didn't know anybody in the military and and until my friend um decided to join the army. And so that was the first time that I felt like a like a change um within like the group that, or like the people that I knew in my life where it's like oh, you know, somebody took a step to do something bigger than, you know, stay in this like little town and and just work at a fast food restaurant cuz I grew up in Bell, California, and it's mostly like there's not a lot of sh- big shopping centers. Um like Target is still pretty far away. It's just like a lot of um like Hispanic grocery stores and just like there is nothing really there. It's just like people living there and and working like at Starbucks. So then um I think once she joined, then I got this idea of like, oh, you know, maybe I can, I can go. And also just like, I wasn't living in the best living situation. I lived with my father in like a kind of like this size room, like me and him. And it was just like a, a small studio that somebody had built in, in like a garage. And it was just like, not the ideal place for me to live. That's- so
0: similar to my story my town was so small that it
1: didn't have a gas
0: station even oh wow it had one store and it was called the store <laughs> there wasn't even one traffic light yeah and i wanted to get out of there
1: so yeah weird. Yes. So 2008, I graduated high school and then I went, I I applied for college and I got into Cal San Bernardino and I went there for about a year and it didn't really work out for me. I ended up like my grades are really bad. And so I ended up coming back and I was, I met this Marine and I, we ended up getting together and we actually moved Um, to 29 Palms. And so I was living at 29 Palms, like on this military, not, not on the military base, but like off, like somewhere, like we found a place off post. And then that didn't work out. But then I was like, okay, I'm ready to join. Like, I'm ready. I'm ready to join. And he's like, don't join the Marine Corps. So then he's like, if you're going to join, join the Air Force. So then I went into, like, I walked into a recruiting office They told me that I had some traffic tickets, like, on my record, and they weren't going to take me unless I paid them off, and I didn't want to wait any longer, so then, like, the Army was, like, my last resort, and that's how um, I worked with the recruiter that recruited my my friend because she was like, oh, you know, you should talk to him. That's kind of how it happened.
0: The fact that, like me, Fanny hadn't known anyone in the military either growing up made me think about influence. It seems Fanny was influenced by her friend and then her boyfriend to join. I was influenced just by that recruiter coming into the class and offering college tuition for a part-time job. If something is suddenly thrust in your worldview as a new opportunity and you're looking for a way out of your small town, your small life, it seems like it would be natural to latch onto it, or maybe we're outliers. For both of us, there were a lot of unknowns. We were joining this secretive club in which we had an inkling of the rules and our roles, but really there were way more questions than answers. I asked Fanny what her friends and family thought about her joining.
1: Well, I actually didn't tell like my parents right away. Um, I kind of did it out of like these are all like my own ideas. Like nobody was trying like I didn't tell anybody like in in time to like have, have th- right. So when I told my parents they were really shocked. I could tell that they were really like confused and upset and and they were sad because like I'm their only daughter and like, they don't know anybody else in the military. So I think it was, like, really hard for my mom because, like, all she knows is, like, what she sees on TV. Like, the military means war. So that's, like, what she's thinking. And then my dad, I didn't really spend a lot of time because c- it happened so quickly. I was spending most of the my time with, like, my partner at the time. And I think, like, I spent, like, one day with my dad and I told him that I was leaving the next day. <laughs> and he's... I had never seen my dad cry. He started crying like in front of me. And to see him like cry like that, I was just like, I felt like I did something wrong. I don't know. Like I felt like I hurt him, you know, I was like being a little tough girl and I was just like, I didn't care. Like, I'm leaving. I don't want to live here anymore. I I mean I was looking for, for for an escape. I was working at the macaroni grill like as a host, making minimum wage and I was just like I can't like do this. If I move up, I'll be a server and then after that like what happens after that? Like nothing. Like I'll probably be a server or a bartender for like this many years. I was thinking about using, you know, the the military as like a stepping stone to kind of like get myself on my own two feet, which it did in the end and um just to kind of give me a different like perspective in life than just like the one i was living yeah and also like i really wanted like the the money for for school like i've always wanted to do photography and i didn't feel comfortable pulling out loans for like a private art school or something like that so i really really wanted um the gi bill i was just like gonna go in do do my contract and then get out So, I um, uh, ended up being an 88 Mike, which is a a truck driver, and originally I was asking for a combat photographer position, and my recruiter was like, oh, they don't have that job anymore. Oh my god, that's
0: exactly like (laughs) me, I want to be a journalist. And they said, well, join us this first, mine was a fueler, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it was like either 88 Mike or 77 Fox. And then you you know when the job like
1: that opens up then you can transfer into it. It's just BS. Yes, yeah, it's... And I was just like thinking about it. I was like, oh, like I really wanted like you know they say like there's all these jobs that you can and then they, they only offer you like right. two.
0: Actually, there's this job or this job. <laughs>
1: yeah. All I I mean I was like, oh, I don't mind driving. Like I'll I'll drive. So I so basic training was Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri and they shipped us off on like a, you know a fancy charter bus. And so you still have this like the il- airport? Yeah, you yeah. still have this illusion all the way from like the hotel, you get breakfast <laughs> and then you get like an airplane ride and you know, you get like special treatment, I don't know, somehow it feels that way. And and then, you know, we were on this charter bus and I'm like, "Oh, wow, well, this is cool," but I'm a little nervous. And, and we get to this place and as soon as like we get there, the drill sergeants like come in and they rush in and they're like yelling. And I mean, I saw videos, so I kind of knew, but, and, and I was just like, you know, making sure I was like listening to everything that they were saying because they were just yelling at the people that weren't doing what they wanted them. Like, and yeah, it was, it was pretty frightening because they were like tucking your shirts, Put your hair in a bun and like all of a sudden we we were all looking the same. I remember the first night I was there, they gave me, you know, these sheets that smelled like like, you know, they've been damp for a couple days. And we were kind of in this huge warehouse and they had like bunk beds. All over, and the fan there was fans going, and the fans were really loud. It was a really cold night, I remember. And the beds were
0: give you that one disgusting green wool blanket. Yes,
1: (laughs) the wool blanket didn't help very much. And the beds are like you know, they're like this plastic, uh, water resistant like material, so it's all very uncomfortable. You know, this is the first time I had a shower with a group of girls, and so that was like interesting too, because it's like you walk into the bathroom. And then here you are, like, you have no option, like, all all your insecurities and, like, everything has to, like, disappear and, like, you just have to do it.
0: Ah, boot camp. Those first days and weeks are a whole lot of culture shock. Not only are you under the thumb of all these drill sergeants buzzing around like angry wasps, but you can't even make friends at first. Included on the long list of things you can't do anymore is talking. Looking back on boot camp as a conscientious objector, there are a lot of red flags. Like when you learn how to attach your bayonet to your M16 and how best to stab the enemy. The drill sergeants yell, What makes the grass go green? And you all scream back, Blood! Blood! Bright red blood drill sergeant! But at the time, you're just caught in the current and the chaos. There isn't a lot of time for reflection that comes later. With me, it was a slow and steady drift toward war resistance. When I asked Fanny about her path, I got an answer I did not expect. It's an answer Fanny seems to know surprises people. She started laughing.
1: I I feel like I have a, like a, like a funny, like unique way that it started. So when I joined, I was vegetarian. You know, I had really strong beliefs about being against slaughtering animals and and just like having to eat this like animal that has been killed in a violent way, even if it hasn't, you know, it suffered from like day one, blah, 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 you know, watching all those videos. So I always felt like something was like off or things that I didn't agree with. Like even when we were uh, in basic, when I got assigned to like my permanent like company, I guess, and there was all these posters of What a terrorist is supposed to look like, and I just felt like we were kind of being brainwashed to think, you know, that all these people that wear, you know, this the headdress and and the and dress, that they all they're all bad people, and so I think that was like the first time that I started like thinking about it, other than oh we're just you know I'm just working you know this is what I'm being told to do, and then. I think that the first couple, not the first time, but the, the couple of times that we went out to the range and we started shooting the targets, you know, just the, the silhouettes of like,
0: yeah, they look like people, the
1: pop-ups. Yeah. I felt like wrong to be doing that, but I was just like, okay, I signed up for this, blah, blah, blah. But I think once you, you know, see things like in front of you, it's creepy. it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of creepy.
0: So anyone not familiar with military firing ranges, they have uh, pop-up targets, which are like the silhouette of a torso and the head of a person in green, dark green. Uh, they pop up at different intervals and you don't know where which one is going to pop up next. There's the 50-yard one, fast Freddy, and then 100-yard, 100 150, 200, 250, and 300. And the trajectory of a bullet, uh, it doesn't just go straight the entire time like it it comes out kind of straight and then it goes up and then goes down for whatever range you're supposed to hit the target you kind of have to either aim low on the torso or aim for the head to try to hit it it is creepy shooting at something that is you know so human shaped and you know that i mean that's what you're trained to do you're trained to shoot people and if you don't hit them they just it feels like they're looking at you. They're looking back at you.
1: So once I was done with basic and like, you know, my AIT my my like I you know, I had already trained to be like this truck driver. I was sent to Fort Stewart, Georgia and I was there for like two years. I I knew that it was possible for us to deploy, but I think once it like came around, you know, we got orders that we were gonna deploy, I think that's when it I was just like, I I don't know if I can do this.
0: It was the same with me. I had to have those orders in my hand for me to really confront my feelings and act on them. I've always felt bad about that. Like you know, like I was some kind of fairweather fan and But Fanny agrees it just took having those orders to ratchet things up to a level where you had to act no matter what your feelings of, you know, your fears about humiliation or being seen as a traitor, you just had to, for both of us, we had to find our voice
1: and and quickly. Yeah. What can I do? I'm yeah. really doomed. Yeah. I was in a, a a same-sex relationship when I was in. So that was also like another layer of, of things that I was like worried about because the Don't Ask, Don't Tell was was still in effect until December 2010 or no, 2013. I didn't talk about my partner at all. And I was living with her off post. I was supposed to be in the barracks, but because we wanted to be together, I was like paying extra because because, you know, they don't give you a housing allowance if you stay in the barracks. So I was like paying like out of pocket to like live with my partner. And um, she, she was also vegan. Well, she was like, like vegan. I was like vegetarian because I, I couldn't like do it all the time. And she had like really strong like, feelings about going like over there and, and just like, I mean, she was just a civilian. So all she knows is, oh, she was a civilian. yeah, yeah, she was a civilian. And so she's, she's there supporting me. And, and she's kind of like, she's like, you got to find a way out. She's like, you can't, she's like, this is, this is not who you are. Like, she's like, I know you, you're not a violent person. Like, like, I know, like you joined the military for these reasons, but it's like, you're going to Afghanistan. Like, you don't know what's going to happen. And you know, she was right. Like, I I didn't know. You don't know what's going to happen. You only tell you like certain things. They don't tell you when you're going to go. They don't tell you like what your mission is going to be over there. So, I mean, all these things, I was just like oh crap like what did my what did I get myself into I wasn't like panicking but I was I knew I had to do something I had this like really strong urgency to like figure out like what to do. And so I started researching uh, options online and I was like, okay, how to get out, <laughs> get out of <laughs> a deployment, blah, blah, blah. And so just by simply searching that, I found this organization. I called the, yeah, the GI rights hotline. And then they referred me to this like conscientious and war like website. It's I guess it's like a, like a staff and they've they've been conscientious objectors so they help other people become CEOs and so I started working with with them that's how it all started I was like I found I found a way and I was like I don't care if it doesn't work but at least I'm going to try to like you know fight for myself yeah <laughs>
0: I did one Google search, <laughs> that gr hotline, and it said, "Are you in the, a member of the military mm-hmm. and Unhappy about the, the, the? Do you want advice on getting out? Yes. Do you want to learn about um, the different types of discharges? I was like, yes, yes,
1: yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's like some somebody, there's help, and you know, I don't, I'm not like advocating. Oh, you know, people should, everybody should do this. Like, I, I was just mostly for myself, you know." I feel like people, you know, can choose to do whatever they want. They could be vegetarian or not. I'm like, I'm not pushing anybody to like, you have to be this or you have to do this.
0: Unlike Fanny, I feel a bit of an attraction to advocating for at least awareness, if not change, for the people in the thick of it. I wish more people scrutinized their roles in the military and in war. It's a quiet kind of advocacy, though. I don't feel like anyone responds well to being preached at, lectured, or accused. My big beef with being recruited young and fairly ignorant is that the military goes to great pains to make sure you know your obligations, your duties, expectations, responsibilities. You are very aware of signing a legally binding contract and of swearing some serious oaths. But at no point do they inform you of your rights or options if you change your mind. In fact, they don't even go so far as to explain what rights you're giving up. Thankfully, there are organizations that also see this as screwy and exist to help people like Fannie and me in their fight to get out. I was surprised, I mean pleasantly surprised that there are organizations like that, like kind of waiting for people to seek them out and be like I want, I can't do this I need to get
1: out mm-hmm. they, don't, they don't like that no. no I mean thank god for google <laughs> <laughs> yeah and good
0: friends who know you because you feel so alone I mean I don't know about you but I never got a hint from anyone else that they were unhappy about their role
1: yeah I. I mean I agree with that I I it was a big deal I mean once I got all my paperwork together and I presented it to like my chain of command
0: can you bring us back to that moment because yeah that was that's terrifying
1: it was I well luckily for me I had like a like a female sergeant and I told her I was like look I was like I know we have orders but I, this is how I feel. I found these regulations that I can present, you know, to our company commander, and she was like, "Okay." She's like, "We're, you know, if this is what you want to do, um, you know, I'll turn in the paperwork, and then we'll see from there." And so, other previous uh, platoon leaders, you know, other sergeants that were in charge of me before. He, like, called me. He's like, oh, like, get Garcia to, like, come over to my office. So I, like, went to go see him. And then he's like, you know what you're doing? He's, I don't think you know what you're doing. And he's, like, you know, talking down to me. And this is somebody that, you know, helped, was supportive and helpful before with all the trainings and stuff. So this is somebody I looked up to. And then for him to, like, be talking to me in this, like, negative manner, I I felt, like, ashamed. And I and I knew that was going to come up. I think that's part of being like a CEO and a part of the experience is standing up for like your own voice because that's something that the military takes away from you. Being a CEO goes against every everything that they've taught you because you're literally going against everything that's been taught. Yeah, army of one. Yeah. And... And suddenly, you, you know,
0: you don't want to be part of that one. Right. People are pissed and disappointed. And yes, feel like, shit, I mean, I don't know about you, but I I did, I mean, I wasn't going to go back, but I did feel like what I was doing was, like, traitorous in a
1: way. hmm Yeah.
0: Dishonorable in a way. Yeah. And on the other hand, I was like, this is the most honorable thing I've, I've ever done in my life.
1: Yes. Yes. I, um, so my whole stance I told them I was like, look, I've been vegetarian for this long, and I have these feelings about not eating animals, and it just doesn't make sense to like do that to humans—not eat them, but like you know, take their lives. Take their lives, or you know, you know, we're literally carrying you know rifles, loaded rifles, like like when we're overseas. You know, if we get that command, you know, we have to do it. This is what I was saying, and they're like, well. Cause, you, 'Cause it you could only you could do it from moral beliefs, right? One stand and the other one's like religious beliefs and I, and they're like, Well vegetarianism isn't a religion And I was like, I'm not saying it's a religion. I'm saying that this is these are my like thoughts and this is how I feel and they were like trying to go against, you know, saying well it's not a religion. I'm like, I'm not I'm not even religious. <laughs> that so that's exactly what I'm going to do. <laughs> I was not religious in the traditional sense at all. Mm-hmm.
0: In my application, you know, they ask about you know how your morals formed, you know, through childhood, blah blah blah. And if it's not religious, they just thumb their nose at it. But I mean, yeah, I put, I put my mom in there. I put Star Trek in there. <laughs> <laughs> Next generation, it's like those are very moral <laughs> shows. Like the crew is always faced with this these moral dilemmas. You know, like how are they going to treat mm-hmm. the aliens mm-hmm. who uh, are doing something that you know they don't respect? Mm-hmm. <laughs> moral dilemma. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but yeah if it's not a religion they just they balk it's like they don't they don't believe that you can be moral and ethical if it doesn't come through god
1: Mm-hmm. yeah and so like part of the application is to get uh, letters of support and so i i you know i thought about the people that i knew and i was just like can you write a letter? You know, you've known me for this long. I've been vegetarian. You know, this is how I feel. Like, I'm getting ready to go to Afghanistan. They had already issued me my, my, like, uniform. I remember walking through that line, like, getting my uniform. I was, like, I was crying. Like, I was, like, trying to hide it. But I was crying. It was it was really hard. Just couldn't help the way. I couldn't. My emotions were just, like, coming like, out into the open, and, and, and that's, I mean, I think the part of being in the military is, like, to suppress, 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 like, as much as you can, but I just couldn't. I even, like, you know how you have to go through and get all these vaccines? Well, I had claimed that I was, like, vegan, actually, which, which I was, and um, it's somehow, like, I, I somehow went from, like, vegetarian to, like, vegan because... Once I was, like, living off posts, I could, like, cook my own meals. The flu shot, I think, is, like, derived from, like... Is that, is
0: that some egg in it or something? Yeah,
1: that's what they ask you, are, are you allergic to eggs? And so, because I denied the flu shot, they gave me an Article 15. Yeah, and I, I denied the flu shot because I had already an open case, you know? And I had to, like, stand by, like, everything, like, down to, like, the minor details...
0: An Article 15 is a type of formal punishment or reprimand. It can come with docked pay or extra duties, they can knock you down in rank, and it stays on your military record forever. It would be pretty upsetting to get one, unless you'd actually done something wrong. And in Fanny's case, it's clear why she got one. It was a message from the Army. Now, before we go on to the rest of the interview, a little bit about the CO application process. You have to do a lot of work before you even tell your commanders. The application is basically a huge essay explaining your firm and fixed beliefs about war and violence and how you came to those beliefs after you joined. You have to do a lot of busy work, like provide the addresses and dates of every single place you've ever lived, and then you have to gather letters of support too from friends, family, co-workers. Then, after you turn everything into your commanders, You have to be interviewed by a chaplain and a psychiatrist. Then an investigating officer is appointed to your case. And based on anecdotal evidence, it's pretty clear that person's goal is to get your case thrown out. So back to Fanny.
1: Yes, I had to go through all of those. So I had uh, an investigating officer assigned to me. And later I found out that he had been going around like asking people that were in my platoon, like, trying to find like yeah and they couldn't because I was a really good worker I was like one of the hardest workers in my platoon and it was just like they knew I was like a good soldier and they had like nothing on me everything that I was saying was true because it was true I wasn't lying I think like the only thing I was not bringing forth is like my partner who like really influenced me a lot that would have been like a whole can of worms that you know that I I didn't want to open. I asked Fanny if she ever thought
0: about using this detail to get out. Uh don't ask, don't tell was still in effect and when I told people about my feelings and how I had really struggled to get out, you know, you've got always got those people who say, "Well, why don't you just tell them that you're gay?" Then they would have just kicked you out. I had a couple beefs with that. One I didn't know if it would even work and two, you know, the conscientious objector application is based on integrity and your morals and the truth and you know that wasn't true and if i was going to stand up and say that i was a conscientious objector and my conscience my conscience was preventing me from playing a role in a war that i saw as destructive and wrong and based on lies you know i have to i have to have the integrity to tell the truth about everything i was going to play by their rules i was going to let the army be the dishonest immoral one Fanny felt that pressure, too, to, like, just stand up for what's right. She didn't want to get a discharge in a negative way. She wanted to win a discharge and feel good about it. Not that she had any reason to feel bad about being lesbian or bisexual by any means. Well, let's hear it from her.
1: I I didn't want to go out that way because I still had hope that I would get, like, an honorable discharge. And so I just kind of wanted to stick to the original, like, the plan and not even talk about that, because I, I was always scared about that.
0: Who knows what they could do, they could court-martial you at that mm-hmm.
1: point. Mm-hmm. Either way, it was still kind of, like, this era of, like, ooh, you can't, like, I'm just not going to talk about it. So, when I asked for the letters of support, I asked, I asked my, like, my battle buddy, like, she was, like, me and her were, we did everything together, like, they always paired us together, because, like, we just like worked really well. And she was like my best friend. I I asked her, could you write, you know, this letter of support? And she's like, I don't know what to write. And I was like, what do you mean? I was just like, you just have to like say that you've known me for this long. And, um, you know, she, I know that she feels this way and she's like, I can't do it. I was so confused. I was like, I don't understand. Like you've, we kind of stopped. We had a little falling out after that when she kind of gave me my space.
0: Do you think she felt jealous in any way or she just um, didn't respect that choice?
1: Well, I found out later that she felt that I had like abandoned her I had like abandoned her because, you know, she, she didn't feel that way. You know, she's, she's also like a really hard worker and, and like to her, like going to Afghanistan was something that I, I believe she wanted to do. And, you know, that was like her fulfilling her, her duties and, and for, for her to look, for like me to like stay back and like, and she, like she felt abandoned, like I felt like I was like being a bad a bad friend, and I also felt like a lot of guilt around that because this was somebody I really like respected and I really cared for and I you know it it really it hurt me to like hurt her in that way, but it wasn't like any any of it, it was not intentional but it just kind of happened that way so because I had this open case, they told me that I would be staying behind that I would not deploy I was like like an enormous like relief off my shoulders but also like I knew that at that point I would be I'm like become an outcast because you know once you have I guess you're you become family once you deploy like you become a part of this group and and they and they they left and I stayed behind I stayed in the same company, and um, I continued to do the same work that we were doing before, just like maintaining vehicles, making sure they were running, and just like doing, just doing everything that I was doing before. It was, it was just like less people, like a a lot less people. (laughs) I
0: asked Fanny what it was like serving when everyone around her probably knew about that CO application that she had filed. When I filed my application, it was just kind of anxiety overload whenever I was in uniform. I worried about what people were thinking about me, what they were saying about me behind my back, um, and, and how they felt. I still respected and cared for a lot of them. I believed in what I was doing, but I also knew that a lot of people just wouldn't understand and clearly didn't feel the same way that I did.
1: I don't know if a lot of people knew about what was happening with me. I think, I know for sure, definitely the people that were in, in like, my platoon. But, um, I mean, it was fine. Like, I didn't, I wasn't mistreated. I I did ask that I no longer wanted to participate in any combat training. So, um, there was still trainings going on. But I wasn't, like, holding an M-16 anymore. So, it was just, like, that was... I felt kind of bad because everybody else was training, and then I, like, wasn't doing that anymore. You
0: must have all known.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs>
0: but it seems like they tr- they treated you pretty well. Like, they just kind of ignored it.
1: Yeah, I wasn't. I think it was because I've always been, like, nice and, like, really helpful. So that, that helped me out a lot, you know, in the end. So the case actually took about a year. It took about a year um, at some point. Uh, they came They came back to me and they said that they lost the packet. <laughs> they lost the packet. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean they lost it? And they're like, yeah, we can't find it. Okay, well, we'll regenerate everything we've done. So we had to recreate everything from, you know, whatever. I had copies on my computer of, like, everything that I had written down. It's not surprising. <laughs> so my the company that deployed, they came back. <laughs> and
0: you were still
1: I the CEO application? Yes, I was still there. You know, I think part of it, maybe, I, I, think, I don't know, I feel like part of that length, when they came back, you know, I was really happy that my friend, everybody came back, but I, everything was so different. I mean, they were wearing a different uniform, first of all, and the relationship that I had with my friend wasn't there anymore. She... I mean she was happy to see me too but it was like i knew it wasn't going to be the same like i felt like this ending between me and the military and so finally um you know they were they were telling me where the paperwork was they were like oh your paperwork's at the the pentagon and I was like, what? Like, it goes all the way. Yeah, they have this, like, panel that makes all the decisions at the Pentagon. And I was like, oh, wow. And I didn't know. Like, it went all the way, like, over there. Um. So I was waiting, waiting, waiting. And then finally, they're like, oh, we got news. They were like, you've you've been, like, approved. Like, you've, you're like, they gave it, you. it, they gave it to me. Yeah, and you're, you've become, like, a conscientious objector. And I was like, wow. I was like, I did it? Like at that point it felt like I had been waiting for so long like all the all the interviews and everything had been like pushed in the beginning so I was just like waiting so at that point it was just like like I could breathe and I was just like oh my god like my life is going to change And and within a week I was the different um, offices, like, on post, like, getting all your stamps and stuff. Yeah, um, out-processing. Out-processing. Yes. And so I had all this, you know, I turned everything, and they are like, okay, you have to do, like, you have to turn in this, this, and that. I even got them to, like, ship my stuff to, like, my home of record. Like, they paid for all of that. They are like, you're getting an honorable discharge. I was like, holy cows. Like, "I, I did it. I did it. And I was just like... Really, really, just really proud of myself. Like, like you said earlier, like it, it, it did felt like, like very honorable, but like, you know, to yourself, like for yourself, because it was, it was a big hurdle. Like, especially like growing as a person through through that experience. Like, it, it helped me, helped me like find like my voice. I have to admit that I was
0: surprised that the Army granted Fanny's CO application so easily. And when I say easily, of course, there was nothing easy about it. But to have them come back and say yes to me is an amazing victory. To be honest, I was jealous, too. To have that sense of closure would have been incredible. What happened to me is my application was denied. And on top of that, the investigating officer accused me of joining fraudulently and advocated for punishing me. His recommendation was that disciplinary action be taken against me, and I pay back all the tuition the guard had given me and all the stipends ROTC had given me. I filed a rebuttal, but that was denied again. So even though in the end my paperwork says honorable discharge too, I view it as a mistake because my CO application was denied. When Fanny described the end of her Army story, It was nice to imagine that happening to me too, like just having that, that kind of shut door sense, like closing a chapter of your life that you had waited so long to close. That's awesome that they gave it to you. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, with the help of that website, the day of the interview where the investigating officer was like questioning me, questioning me like, like everything, um, I had like the person on the phone, the person that was helping me from the website, um, he was on the phone, like, kind of mediating, um, just making sure that if I had re- worded something a different way, he would, like, you know, explain it, like, okay, this is what she means. So he's
0: almost acting as your lawyer. Yes. Yes,
1: that's, that's what it was. Awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, I asked to record my little hearing with the investigating officer, and he wouldn't even let me do that, because, yeah, I was all alone, and it wasn't just him. It was some people from the ROTC program too. There were three of them on the other side of the table oh. against me, and I felt so gained up on. And I just wanted to record it to, you know, how I don't know, just some kind of record in case.
1: My my oh. case was recorded. Yeah? My, yeah, my case was recorded. I have I have the CD. I haven't listened to it. I don't want to listen to it. Yeah. I <laughs> So but I've. Someday you Someday I will. I've, other people have listened to it because they've been interested in, in like, um, for example, like my friend, he was just like, you were just young and like naive. Like, it sounds like you didn't, you just didn't know. Like, and, and I was just like, "Yep, yeah, that's kind of what happened. <laughs> like, I just didn't know. I was just doing everything that I could to like, do the right thing. I was trying to do the right thing. And I definitely felt like I did.
0: That's, a, that's how I feel too. Mm-hmm. I was just trying to do the right thing. And it's, it's hard when it's that complicated. You know, your country is at war and you know all these people and they kind of feel like... You know, yeah, there's something weird about the, the military where it feels like this extended family of, you know, dysfunctional people and mm-hmm. people that you don't always respect but they do feel like a family. And, and some of those people you do really expect and love and they make you laugh. And it's it's so hard to say, I'm not going to do that, you you go do that Mm if you want to. It it just makes, yeah, it's it's so complicated. It's it's not black and white. Mm -hmm. It's, It's never going to be. This gray area is why I think COs get so much backlash. The military is a black and white organization. You don't fit. You aren't neatly categorized. It's also why COs who don't claim religion as their moral training have a harder so I, time. So I did want to ask you, since you you joined at a time when the wars on terror were still pretty active, I mean, did you ever get any any shit from people, either in uniform
1: or on the civilian side, saying, well, you knew what you were getting into. We were at war. Yeah, that was one of the questions I was asked in the interview. And I I just, I said... Yes, of course. I knew what I was getting into. Like I rose my hand, but like I, it was a gradual change. Like I wasn't. This is. I didn't go in thinking like, oh, I'm going to become a conscientious objector. I'm. I'm going to, you know, not deploy. Like I wasn't thinking that, that. Sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah. I, I. I. knew what I was getting myself into. I. I. I mean, I was joining the military, and and it was just like a, a gradual change of of perspective and and it just like I said, I was like people are allowed to change your mind. It's just I happen to like follow through with what I was feeling and you know, other people may feel like they have no option. That's what I thought until I found this this way, you know, I found these regulations that I didn't even know existed.
0: I asked Fanny why she seems so comfortable in her decision to become a CEO. She's done a couple other interviews She's connected to the organization Veterans for Peace. She's using Army benefits to help pay for school, which is completely within her rights. She got an honorable discharge. But I'm stuck in this arrested development stage where it's still hard to talk about, have a lot of guilt. It's easy to write about, um, but it's still hard to have a conversation about, especially if I find out someone is a veteran or, or a conservative. I prefer to just keep my mouth shut.
1: I No, I felt the same way. I didn't want to talk about it. Like, my parents don't even know, like, how I got out because it was just like, they speak Spanish, so it's just, like, kind of hard. I don't even know how to translate those words. Like, oh, I, you know, I just didn't go because I said I didn't want to. <laughs> that easy. And so, you know, my mom was really happy. But, you know, once I got out, you know, I had a really hard time, like, adjusting. Like, even if, you you know, it's, it's such a huge transition and I feel like this is something people don't talk about enough or like it just doesn't get talked about. Because um, mostly you hear people, conversations about combat veterans coming back and having a hard time adjusting because they have PTSD. Well, I still think that you can still get some sort of PTSD or, or, or something, but it was just hard to transition because it's like... I just didn't want people knowing that I got out that way because I felt like I had betrayed, like, the country in some way. And and when I went off to, like, community college, ended up getting a job as a work study at the North Orange County Vet Center. And I, like, Anaheim's, like, pretty conservative, and the manager who was there had, like, like certain views. So when I told them this is how I got out... He I think like he didn't hire me because of that, but then somehow i got he i got a call back, and the other guy didn't make it and he he specifically told me not to tell anybody about how I got out. There's been other times where like organizations like have uh, said something about how I got out. so i'm I'm usually very careful about who or how i I say it. Um, I you know I don't even like telling people that I was in the army unless it comes up. When I was living in Anaheim, I connected with military it's an organization nonprofit military family speak out and they would, they, I don't know if you know about Arlington West. They, they set up all the crosses on the beach, oh, yeah. Santa Monica Beach. So they do like a smaller version at Huntington Beach every Sunday, first Sunday of the month. So I was doing, I was like in a government class and they wanted us to um, connect, do like a small internship with like a political organization. And so I, that's how I met them. And when I told them, about me being a conscientious objector they were they were like oh my god like they were treating me like i was this like yeah this awesome person that i you know and that was the first time that i felt like i did something that that i did something good that there was people out there that agreed with my stance because they're all about you know bringing the troops back and they they're like supportive of the military but they want they just want them out of like these war zones so i was helping them and then a lot of them were um, Part of um, Veterans for
0: Peace. Since recording this interview, I joined an organization called About Face, Veterans Against the War. I was pretty hesitant to do it because I still didn't consider myself a real veteran, and you have to prove with documents that you've been in the military to join About Face. In any case, in the span of one conversation with another vet with a lot of the same views, I was ready to admit that yes, I am a veteran. I'm just a veteran who refused to deploy, who refused to take part in war. There are cracks starting to form in the walls I built up around myself. I'm going to give Fanny a lot of credit for the kick in the pants to seek out the one community that understands me, other veterans against the war. And I want to end on what Fanny is doing now. She's studying photography, and I was surprised to learn that every time she takes a picture, there's a thread that leads back to the Army. I told her I'd found her series called after Dark Online. It's pictures of buildings, faucets, open windows taken at night.
1: I'm a very emo- like emotional person in terms of like i I have like really strong feelings and also just like picking up on like how other people feel like you know you could feel how a room feels like if somebody's been arguing like you could feel like something happened um and I think that. In terms of like finding my own voice, that definitely has come into how I work. Um, I like to work at night. Like that series after dark is is all photographs at night in their windows, and I'm just using like ambient light. I, I like doing that because there's a, there's a silence that I enjoy, and and somehow like I relate it back to the military. Like when you're supposed to be obs- observing observing, um, like the enemy or, you know, when you, you know, you had to like be quiet and you had, you're holding this, this rifle. Like I, I very much treat the camera like, like that at night. Something about that experience and, and working at night, like being like cautious and quiet. Like I, I like that. I like being able to merge those two experiences and even when I'm holding the camera it's like I use the breathing techniques that they taught um when you're 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 shooting you know you you inhale you exhale and you you want to shoot on the exhale when I'm hand holding I I usually you know take click the shutter when you know when when you're the most still so I could get I'm I'm like trying to perfect my shot (laughs) through the camera
0: (laughs) before we turned off the mics I asked Fanny if there was anything she wanted to say to people who might stumble across this as they think about filing their own CO application or as they wait to hear back from the powers that be you feel so alone but Fanny doesn't see that as a problem. She said something else that really made an impression. The idea that simply being in the military, being forced to sink or swim in an intense environment, might be the very thing you need
1: to stand up for yourself in the end. It's gonna feel like that. It is something that's very much internal. Only you know your experience. There's still gonna be a sense of not knowing what's gonna be on the other side. I feel like the military already has prepared you to, like, go through something as, like, emotional. I feel like we're prepared to, you know, mentally go through something like that, even if it it does mean to, like, feel alone.
0: Big thanks, of course, to Fanny Garcia for this interview. Thanks also to Nicholas Leiter, Jason Baum, for giving this a first listen. Fanny gave me a couple fantastic resources worth checking out if you would like to learn more. The first is Peace Talks Radio out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Back in June of 2014, they did a program called Conscientious Objectors in the Volunteer Military Service. Fanny's one of the guests, and they also interview a former Navy linguist and CO who witnessed some truly terrible things. And they talked to Maria Santelli, the Executive Director of the Center on Conscience and War. She's incredibly eloquent, smart, thought-provoking. She also said the Center has a 100% success rate in getting applications approved. This was back in 2014, so I don't know if this is still the case, but if you are a potential war resistor, look them up. www.centeronconscience.org You can find out more about me and Breaking Cadence the book at rosadelduca.com Next time on Breaking Cadence. And thanks also to an almost three-year-old Itasca lighter, my daughter, for suffering through quiet time so I can edit these episodes and for introducing our next episode. It's with Stephen Collier, the San Francisco lawyer who took my CO case back in 2006. You have to have the sense of being a fighter, that that you're that what you're doing is right. And who has a long history of representing war resistors. If the courts aren't willing to enforce those laws, then we need to make them do it by by fighting harder. Don't miss insights from a modern-day conscientious objector lawyer next time on Breaking Cadence. That's what sort of motivates me to want to help people, to see that, you know, that individual will turn into someone so much better, you know, because they've acted on their conscience, so.